I thought that one was so good we needed to see it another Another Sunday morning. Before I start this morning, I want to make sure that everybody knows that Zach and Carissa Bennett are hosting a birthday celebration for Carissa's dad, Gary Stahl. Um, he, is, he is or has, he's, he's turning 80 this week. And uh, so they're, they're hosting an open house at their house between 5 and 8 o'clock this coming Friday night. So uh, if you can't be there, drop off a card, send a card. Uh, just tell Gary that uh, we love him and we're glad he made it to 80. Uh, it, it was a struggle to make it to 80. And, you know, he still has lots of health things going on. That's why he's not here on Sunday mornings. And uh, let's, let's try and encourage him as best we can and continue to pray for him and uh, pray for others as well that came to your mind this morning. Now, last week, we covered the who, what, why, when, and where uh, of worship. Uh, we defined it. Worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, and body to what God is and says and does. Uh, worship is one of the ways that we can practice the presence of God on a daily basis. Uh, that video, really, the nature just really, I, when Jerry and I were talking this morning about the stars, and, and uh, when I came to the office this morning, it was early and still dark, and I would encourage you, if you're not an early riser, pick one morning and get up before 5 a.m., go outside and look up and stare at the stars. Right now, I don't know what it is about right now, and Jerry noticed it too, they seem brighter and closer and, and like there's more of them at at five in the morning than even at 11 o'clock at night. So just, and, and just stare at them. Just look at them and, and know that, that, that what we see is only a minute, itty-bitty corner cul-de-sac of the universe, and God spoke it all into existence. Now, a couple weeks ago, as we looked at the account of Mary and Martha and how Mary made the best choice to sit at the feet of Jesus instead of busying herself with all the things that didn't really matter in the moment, I mentioned how husbands should never invite anyone over to the house without first checking with their wife before they bring them over, right? Uh, you remember me saying that? Well, I came across something that I thought was a solution, a solution to that. Ladies, this will help you be prepared. I'm not saying husbands shouldn't help keep the house clean. They absolutely should. But for us, it's, we don't care if people see our living space or our garages a mess, right? Um, that, that's something that's really important. I, at least I, I know it is to my wife. Well, here we go. Um, this is what you should do. You should always keep several get well cards on the mantle or on the kitchen table. That way... <laughs> That way, if unexpected guests arrive, they'll think you've been sick and unable to clean. That was really funny when I read it. And this morning when I read it again, I thought, wow, that's kind of a sexist thing to say, Pastor Dave. I'm not sure you should say that. But un unexpected things happen, right? People show up. Um, it, if you're not from Wyoming and you moved here, uh, you, you, you probably are like, well, I would never show up at somebody's house uninvited. I would always call and get permission. You know what? You live in Wyoming. You can show up at anybody's house whenever you want to, and it's just perfectly fine. I, when I was a single youth pastor, I always liked to show up like 1145, 1150, just before lunch. It worked a lot. 
Okay, and when it comes to our relationship with God and how he acts and works and moves in our daily basis, look, we should expect the unexpected. We should expect the unexpected. When we ask and we cry out to him on behalf of our friends and our family and and even our enemies and decisions that we have to make and plans that we have to make, we should expect the unexpected. He is, after all, the most powerful being in the universe. He is everywhere. He is all-powerful, all-present. He is sovereign over all things. There is nothing... There is nothing that he can't do. God can do all things. And as we continue focusing on practicing the presence of God, prayer, as I've been studying through this and as we have been going through this, has risen to the top of every message. It is a major part of the practice of the presence of God. And 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 a question that I often ask myself is why does the very One thing in my life that can affect it, that can change it the most, the one that I struggle with and do the least. Why is that? Why does that? Prayer is a huge part of our relationship with God, yet it is one of those things that on a practical basis every day I struggle to do. Uh, I, uh, my mind gets distracted. I find other things to think about. Why do I neglect the one thing that is the most impactful? A, a major part of practicing the presence of God is praising, repenting, asking, and yielding. So why is it so hard? Well, the answer to that question is easy. It is because the spiritual battle is real. It is real. We must not forget that. We can't forget that the spiritual battle is real. When a football team is trying to move the football down the field and score a goal, when a basketball team is trying to put the ball through the hoop, why does it seem impossible to do sometimes? Because there is another team on the other side facing them that's trying to get them to not do that. They are in opposition. They are playing defense and They are trying to equalize and overpower every move the offense makes. You know, you see players moving around on the offensive line and, 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 you know, they look, oh, they stop, they look over and the coach changes the play. And then the defense is like, oh, hey, we got to look at our coach too. And they look at their coach and, and they change their play. They're trying to counter whatever it is the offense is trying to do. That is the reality of our everyday lives. We have an enemy who is opposing us. At every step we take toward Jesus, he is trying to equalize that. He is trying to counter that. He does not want us to succeed. And we need to remember that. He opposes everything good. He lies about it. He tries to steal our joy. And he tries to kill everything good. Our faith, our trust, the truth that we know about our Savior. At every turn, he's trying to oppose us. Our health, our daily bread, he he opposes us. And that makes it hard for us to score touchdowns, but not impossible. It makes it hard for us to listen to and trust our coach, Jesus Christ. Uh, Look up here at 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. I know you know this verse, but we need to be reminded of this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Our enemy is real, and he does not want you to be in constant conversation, practicing the presence of God on a daily basis. So he does what he can do to equalize and counter all that we do in the name of Jesus. And we need to be alert to that fact. When, 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 we, when we get to the end of the day and we haven't prayed, we need to pray. We need to praise, repent, ask, and yield. But we need to also pray against that defense that we've been facing all day long. We need to pray against it. We need to start our day recognizing that we're going to face opposition today in my spiritual life. And I need to be ready for that. We need to draw up plays to counter the opposition, to resist, to stand firm in faith. And and prayer is one of those plays. It is the play, really. That suffering you are experiencing, no matter what it is, the enemy is trying to push you in a direction that goes against God. The enemy is trying to get you to doubt everything spiritual in your life, to weaken your faith, to get you to give up. The struggle is real. It is real. The spiritual battle is real. In fact, we may get so discouraged that we stop praying. We conclude that it's not working, so why even do it? Or we conclude that God isn't real after all, or that he's real but he doesn't care. And none of those things that I just mentioned will ever be true. God is real, God always cares, and God is always hearing you and he is always working. Always. Or you may conclude that who am I? I'm, I'm just, I don't, I don't want to bother God with my stuff. Uh, so we conclude that we shouldn't be even asking in the first place. That is another lie that the enemy tries to get us to believe because just as we need to be aware of the spiritual battle, we also need to be aware that Jesus wants us to ask. Jesus wants us to ask. He wants us to call on his name. He even He even wants us to ask in his name. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like. In James chapter 4, if you would turn there and just kind of hold that space, I'm going to talk about it all throughout the message this morning. James chapter 4, it's in the New Testament, towards the back of the New Testament. And if you want to just take your Bible like this and flip like this till till you hit Hebrews, stop at Hebrews, and then go forward to James, because James is right after Hebrews, but it's really small and it's easy to miss when you're looking for it. James chapter 4. And in James chapter 4, it says, you do not have because you do not ask God. That's the end of verse 2, James chapter 4. You do not have because you do not ask God. Now, biblical history shows us over and over that men and women mess things up when they forge off on their own and try to do stuff on their own. They got their own agenda. God makes a promise. 
God makes a promise and then, and then you know, we lose our patience and, and we're like, well, okay, so this is something that God promised me, so now it's up to me to figure out how to make that happen. Uh, we can really mess things up. We don't trust, we're not patient. Adam and Eve, for instance, Abraham and Sarah, yeah, God promised me to, that I would have children, but well, it's been too long, I'm tired of waiting. Not gonna be from Sarah, which... It was. Jacob, when he took from his brother instead of asking God and being patient. You see, God truly is a loving father. He wants us to ask. We need to ask Jesus. Jesus wants us to. Bring your request to God. Turn things over to him. Surrender to him. He is a good, good father. He is. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13 says this, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. This is Jesus speaking. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is a good, good Father. He will always, always answer our prayers. And we have to trust him with what those answers are. We just need to practice the presence of God and ask. Now, we do, however, need to remember that we, that we can ask for the wrong things, right? That, that happens in our everyday lives. A child can ask to eat chocolate cake with ice cream on the side for breakfast, but a loving father will say, no, you're not going to eat that. If he knows what's good for his son and he himself does not like chocolate cake <laughs> and ice cream for breakfast. Um, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus points out if a child asks his father for something that the father knows isn't good for him, the request will be denied. Is that unloving? No, that's a very loving thing to do. To say no to something that is bad for you or not right for you or not good for you. Said no child anywhere. And, and, and that is an answer. The child may be frustrated, may be unhappy when they don't get what they want, but they should trust their father or mother. Alternatively, when the child asks for something that the father knows is beneficial, the father will what? Provide it eagerly. Yes, absolutely. Because he loves his child, and even more so than an earthly father, our father God knows perfectly and for all time what is best for us. And that's where we struggle because there's a big gap between what he knows is best for us eternally and us for what we see in our tiny little area of life. And then we have to just trust. We have to have faith. Jesus also tells us that we are to ask in Jesus' name. John 14, 14 says this. Jesus says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. 
So does that then mean that at the end of every prayer that we pray in Jesus' name, that that's just going to automatically happen? No, that's not what Jesus is saying there. He is not promising his disciples anything and everything they want. Rather, he instructs them to ask in my name. To pray in Jesus' name is to pray on the basis of Jesus' authority, which involves praying according to the will of God. For the will of God is what Jesus always did. Jesus always did the will of God. So our requests need to be in line with the will of God. So when you pray that your enemy will walk across the street and get hit by a truck, that obviously is not within the will of God. If you pray that you may have an opportunity in the coming weeks or days to share the love of Jesus Christ with your enemy... Expect the unexpected. God is going to answer that prayer. We just need to be willing and ready and have an attitude that is best for the kingdom, not for my selfish self. And even with those conditions, ask and receive can never, never disappoint. He promises to supply what we need when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness all of these other things will be added. He will take care of those things. But what we want is not always what we need. And that's a hard thing for us, especially in America. If, if what we want is not in God's will, then we really don't want to receive it. If we really know what's best for us, we really don't want to receive that. God knows what is good for us and is faithful and loving to say no to selfish and foolish prayers no matter how much we want it or are asking for it. God will always give us good things. Now, part of our journey is to understand what is good so that we know what to ask for. That is part of the spiritual battle because our natural minds can't understand this but if we apply last week's memory verses and those are found in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 then asking for what we need in faith we will have all that we need in life godliness fullness of joy do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind the biblical instruction concerning prayer is that we pray for the good things that we truly need according to the will of God in the authority of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Unselfishly, persistently, and in faith. And part of having faith is submitting to the fact that God's plan is best. That, I acknowledge, can be extremely difficult on an everyday normal basis and we need to remember that spiritual battle piece because Satan is opposing this, this uh, idea that we trust that God's plan is best. And that, that was his tactic in the Garden of Eden, right? Oh, you think God really, he's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to. No, you should do. And that tactic hasn't changed. 
He does that every day. The enemy does. You see, if we ask for healing and that is the best thing for us, we should not doubt that God will heal us. If he does not heal, then not being healed is a necessary part of a larger plan and that is ultimately for our good, which is when you're the one in need of healing is so hard. It is so hard. And that can be discouraging. But among the most important prayers in the life of a Christian are this. Teach me to love you above all else. Even my desire to be healed. Teach me to love you above all else and cause me to want what you want. God, give me the desires that you want my heart to have so that I may desire them with with full passion and and full-on energy, which will then be in your will. Which brings us to our third point this morning, and that's that when we ask, we must ask with, with right motives. Ask with right motives. Our motives will move in the right direction when we are in constant, when we are practicing the presence of God, our motives will be in the right place, submitting and talking. Look at James 4 again, verses the end of 2 through 4. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You're, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James 4 tells us that if there is something we want, we need to ask God for it instead of resorting to ungodly manners. We need to include a prayer of motive inspection in our daily conversation with God. Hidden motives that can can lead us astray quickly. Search my heart, oh God. Show me if there's any wicked way in me today so that when I pray to you, it may be in the right with the right motive, with with the right attitude. Ask God to align our hearts with his, and and then if there is something that we want, we need to ask. We need to ask. Christians should be praying, we should be asking. As we pray and as we even think about praying, there will be opposition. Jesus wants us to come to him. He wants us to ask. We need to ask with good motives. And number four, after we ask, we yield to his answer. But we don't operate like that in our world. You know, you ask God, I've told this story before, but I have a nephew who bought a pickup and he spent a stupid amount of money on this pickup and the bank loaned him the money and then he was upside down on it. And, and he, was, he was trying to sell it or something. And he and I were talking on the phone. And I said, before you bought this pickup, did you call your dad and ask him if it was a God idea? And he's like, no. Why didn't he? Because he knew dad would say, it. that's a terrible idea. But he wanted the truck. He wanted the pickup. When we want something so bad, we don't listen to the answer no. Even if it's from God, we're like, how can I make this happen? Yeah, that's too much house for me that's too much mortgage for me but 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 if I change this and I do this and I do this and we get it down to the penny we're like I can afford it probably not did you ask 
Did you ask God, hey, what should I do here? Nope, we just, we just do it. We just do it. You know, and, and then <laughs> I got a, a message from one of our, we have, a, we have a miles card with United that we get, in fact, I just spent some points, got free plane tickets. But that only works if you pay the balance off at the end of every month, which we do. But I just got to notice, hey, we've increased your credit limit to $12,000. And I'm like, fine, raise it to forty. We're not going to charge what we can't pay for at the end of the month. It's just not going to happen. Now, it's easy for that to happen, which is the whole point of them doing that. They know that most people are not disciplined enough. And they're going to end up making money in the process. Right? But we need to yield to the answer. James' statement that you have not because you ask not does not guarantee that we will get everything that we ask for. It's just not going to happen. And we need to recognize that. A father might tell his child not to steal anything from the tool shed, but to simply ask for it when you want to use it. But then if the child asked a 10-year-old, asked to borrow the chainsaw, what's dad going to say? Probably no. He will do what is best. God, likewise, when we ask him for something, he will do what is best for us. And, and there will be requests that are still selfish at their root, and these God, these God will deny, and he should, and we should want him to, because they're not good for us. Bottom line is this, when we want something, we need to ask God, and then we need to let him decide what, what the answer is going to be. And that's hard, but it is possible. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Humble yourselves. This is a part of that the enemy is real passage. Just before, uh, Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. It's like a four-point sermon right there in that verse. Humble yourselves. That's yielding, deferring to God's rule and lordship and leadership in our life. Yielding to his mighty hand. His all-powerful hand. And then in due time, yield to his timing. Be patient. Let him work. Let him help. Let him direct our paths. And in due time, he will lift us up. And then finally, as we practice the presence of God by praying, praising God for his power and position, repenting of our wrong motives and asking, asking and then yielding to his lordship, we just have to, number five, expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. Turn with me to, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12. It's at the beginning of the New Testament, following the four Gospels. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 18. And, and this, this, this passage always confuses me. It's kind of surprising. Let's see if you think, think the same thing. Starting in verse 1, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. 
Okay, nobody wants to be a part. I wouldn't want to be a part of that. I wouldn't want to be in prison being persecuted by King Herod. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. He puts James to death, James, the brother of John, not Jesus. And when he sees that the the Jews approved of this, now he he puts Peter in jail. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. And so after arresting him, he put him in, in prison, handing him over to the guard to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So 16 guys uh, guarding Peter. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. What are they praying for Peter? I think we can assume that. That he's going to be released from prison, that he will be freed, that he, his, his life will be saved. So so all the believers, they're praying for this. They're praying probably night and day for this. And the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and light shone in the cell. He, He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Doesn't say with what. Maybe he was laying on the floor and the angel kicked him. I don't know. And he, and, and he says, quick, get up. And, and when he said that, the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel, that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. How many of us have been there in the middle of the night? I mean, you have this dream and it's like it was real. That's what Peter thinks is happening to him. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. Who wouldn't think this is a vision, right? This sort of thing doesn't happen. Well, unless God is doing it. It says, um, they passed the first and second guards, came to the iron gate leading the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself. He like finally wakes up. And he said, (laughs) he must have said it out loud. Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. Remember I said they prayed, they were praying nonstop, where many people had gathered and were praying. They're at the house of Mary, they're praying. What are they praying for? That Peter would be released. God answered their prayer. He has been released. He goes to the door, he he knocks at the outer, verse 13, at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door, and she exclaims, Peter is at the door! 
Our prayers have been answered. And what do the people do? You're out of your mind. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. It can't be Peter. God wouldn't answer that prayer. But Peter, he's like, hello, I'm still here. Peter keeps on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Which is how we should be when the unexpected happens. When we pray for something and God answers, we should be astonished, not, well, that would never happen. Why are we then even praying for it? Do we even believe that God would answer it? Now, we, get, we just, we, we're, you know, we get all kinds of frustrated and confused because we've been asking and God's not doing anything. He isn't even doing the unexpected. He's doing nothing. But we keep praying and we keep trusting because in his due time. I didn't finish reading that, did I? Um... Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. This is after they're astonished. I mean, jaws dropping all over the place, right? Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, brother of Jesus, half-brother, and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Probably got out of town. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. When I was youth pastor here at North Hills, there were two students that were, were and, and that was between the years of, of 1992 and uh, two. 2000, I don't know, eight and eight, 2008. Um, there were two students that were involved in a head-on crash between Fort Laramie and Guernsey. And the young lady in the crash uh, was in the hospital with broken legs, broken arms, broken everything, and, and head trauma. Swelling on the brain. I mean, that was the, his, it, we, were, we were praying, I mean, praying. We, we had, our students were praying. Our church was praying. We were, we were visiting the family in the hospital. We were sitting with them. They weren't even a part of our church, but, but, but this girl was a part of our, our kids' lives. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And, and today, her and her husband live in Gillette with their children. Um, they may be watching this morning. I know they watch us online and they're here with us when they're in town. No one ever, ever would have thought that she would have survived, let alone lived a, a normal life, and she absolutely does. And, and I remember myself having these thoughts cross my mind. Wow, those doctors are really good, and wow, what our, our, our medical stuff can do. And, and that's what the enemy does. He tries to push us into... Yeah, it was going to happen anyway. She was going to be okay. No, no, she was not. God answered. Why did God answer those prayers and not others? He sees the big picture. We got to trust him for that. 
as hard as it is sometimes. He did the unexpected. I was talking with a friend a couple months ago, and as soon, uh, as soon, he, he and, and this other gal were talking, a soon-to-be bride was telling him about her fiancé and how he lived like states away, and, and he really wanted to move uh, into the same area where she was so that he could do his job where, and he wanted to live where she was living and doing her job. And so he goes to his company and says, hey, I'd really like, you know, I, I really, my job could be done remotely, um, I could move, and the company's like, nope, no way, not going to happen. So they began to pray, God, would you, would you do this for us? Would you move in, in a way? And uh, all of a sudden, his company decides to make a new position for him, one that would allow him to stay with the company but work remotely. And, and as, as these two friends were talking, they, they were both, as they were talking, they were both surprised that that happened. And then in their conversation, they realized that why are we surprised? God can do whatever God wants to do. And God did the unexpected in this situation. Why is it so challenging for us to believe that God still answers our prayers when he does it all the time? We need to trust. We need to stand, stand firm and expect the unexpected. One, one final illustration, and uh, as the worship team comes up, I want to read this to you. It, it, when it comes to inviting people to hear the gospel, sometimes we we make the decision for them. We say, oh, they would never be interested in that. They would never really want to hear. And so we don't even say anything to them. Well, a pastor was talking about this. And he said, never say no for anyone. Never say no on anyone's behalf. Jesus didn't give up on the people everyone else gave up on. We just never know. Uh, he said he was at a banquet in a secular situation. I don't know what it was, but he says a group of us were sitting at a table and there was one empty seat. This guy sat down in that seat. He was a smooth character. I sat on one side of him and a very attractive woman sat on the other side of him. And when he sat down, his first comment was to the woman. Well, what have you been doing here except turning the heads of everyone in the room, he says to her. And the pastor pokes him in the shoulder and says, well, just eating. That launched, as he says, into an interesting conversation. The discussion turned towards spiritual things, and at one point, he said, I talked about being at a church for people who don't like church. He said, that's interesting, and told me about his background. He grew up Jewish, had no involvement in the faith beyond age 12. He had been to a Unitarian church a couple of times and had been divorced three times. If I had to assess someone on the basis of one conversation who was as far away from faith in Christ as could be, it would have been this guy. His name was Steve. I invited him to come to our church, and I never thought I'd see him again. The next Sunday, he came to church and sat in the first row. He talked with me afterwards, and he asked where we got our material. I told him about the Bible. And he got a New Testament. He had never read the New Testament before in his life. 
He started getting up early and he read 20 or 30 pages of the Bible every day. He came back to church the next week and the next. We kept talking and he started thinking about making a decision to believe in Christ, but it would be a a costly one for him. Because of his heritage, his family told him if he became a Christian, he would be dead to them. But he finally said yes to God. The last time I saw him, he was with a friend. He threw his arms around me and he said to his friend, I want you to meet the person who helped bring me to Jesus. I almost missed that because I almost said no for him. No matter what area of our life, let's practice the presence of God. Let's pray, praise, repent, ask, and yield. And if there is something that you want, you need to ask God for it. You need to ask God for it. Many times you have not because you ask not. There is no guarantee that you'll get it. But it is the best possible chance you have and prayer will keep you within God's will. When we have submitted our will to his, we will be happy with what he gives us. Whatever or not we get what we originally asked for. God's grace is so amazing, and he is so powerful. Let's let's sing this last song, and then I'll get up and close us.